This summer, there was a song that was made popular on social media by three Nashville artists, Melody Walker, Bonnie Sims, and Phoebe Hunt. They wrote and recorded a song while at a songwriting camp called The Missing Stair. Phoebe Hunt describes the metaphor for the missing stair as a person or problem within a community, family, or organization that everyone avoids and refuses to address. So it inevitably keeps hurting people. Sometimes these missing stairs go unfixed for generations and create cultures of disrepair and harm. This song blew up on TikTok. The music is beautiful and eerie, and it stirs something deep in my soul. I highly encourage you to go find the video of this song on YouTube. Listen to these lyrics. End of the hallway, door on the left. In the darkness, don't forget to skip a step. Down in the basement, there is a hole, and they won't fix it, though it's claimed so many souls. So we whisper, so we warn, so we don't burn down the house where we were born. Is there a monster hidden there? Tell me why we don't repair the missing stair. In this episode, I have a conversation with an absolutely beautiful human named Ashley. As Ashley tells her story, it's clear that she knows what it's like to point out the missing stair and lose friends and community because of it. She had the badass audacity to ask a pastor and its church leadership to be honest about the church's practices and theology and to stop keeping secrets. I don't know why churches are filled with so many secrets. Churches should not be like Fight Club. The first rule of church shouldn't be that you can't talk about church. I am sure we all know someone, maybe it was even us at one point, who was willing to keep the secrets in order to protect the institution, believing that we were the problem, ignoring our own injuries, bruised faces, and broken bones. Like many of us who have and are deconstructing Christianity, leaving became our only option. And despite what those who are leery or critical of deconstructing Christianity believe, the exhausting truth is that so many of us tried. We tried so hard. We switched denominations. We left and came back. We got involved so we would be part of the community and have accountability. We went to therapy. We thought it was something that we were doing wrong. Maybe there was some sin in our lives we weren't aware of. Maybe we hadn't prayed hard enough. We didn't have enough faith. Maybe we did just want to go out and sin and do whatever we wanted. We ignored our instincts. We gaslit ourselves into thinking that we were the problem. We fucking tried. For years, I cried to my therapist about how I was trying. I wondered if I could have done anything differently. And then one day he asked me a question that left me speechless. A very rare occurrence. Reed, he asked, have you ever considered how the church has functioned as an abuser in your life? 
why are you trying to stay with an abuser? It took me a few weeks to answer that question. Why was I trying to make this abusive relationship work? When I allowed myself to answer that question, the responses just came flowing out. Loss, fear, the devastation that accompanies knowing that everything would be different. Loss of identity, loss of friends, and maybe even family. Loss of community, maybe even loss of reputation. Rejection, all of that. Deconstruction is a breaking free that feels like death before you will feel anything like resurrection. When I signed my first NDA, I was told by the pastor who put it in front of me that it was for my benefit, because surely I didn't want everyone knowing what happened that led up to my decision to resign. Well, my smartass responded that enough people already knew what happened, and maybe I wasn't the one who needed to be worried. But a few days after that brave, no fucks given moment, I remember feeling so ashamed. Like maybe I had done something wrong. Until an attorney friend of mine reminded me that individuals are not asked to sign NDAs because they did something wrong. It's the other way around. The NDA wasn't for my protection. It was for his. Now, I had been warned about this particular pastor and his narcissistic behavior, just as I had been warned by pastors who had served at the congregation where I was considering taking a call, that it was toxic, but I didn't listen. I even shrugged off the joke that my office was cursed because everyone who had had that particular office before me had left under duress. They had had to leave for their own mental health or they were fired. So I decided to do a seining, a Scottish practice for blessing and protection. And then I also burned a smoke cleansing bundle. And when that bundle didn't burn fast enough for my liking, I got the metal bowl we used for Easter vigil, deconstructed the bundle and just went crazy lighting all of the loose pieces. Ten minutes later, the smoke alarm went off, and I could hear distant sirens from the local fire department. I realize now I should have considered the order of my ritual more carefully. Looking back, I think about all of the ways I tried to contort myself, trying to make myself smaller so I could stay in a place that did not want to make room for me. Since leaving, I have offered my own warnings about systems that might swallow someone whole. But you don't leave because someone else told you that you should. You don't deconstruct because it's the latest thing. And people aren't making a mass exodus out of Christianity because they would rather just give in to sin. We leave. Let me speak for my own self there. I left because the church was my abuser. I have a deep knowledge of the missing stair. Hell, of missing stairs within the institution. And I think that's why that song haunts me. The last verse of that song speaks to my ghosts. 
should have done something, could have done more. I didn't see you when you opened up that door. They're going to blame you for breaking your bones. Call it gravity while casting all their stones. Still we whisper. Still we warn. Because we can't burn down the house where we were born. Made a monster. Hit him there. Tell me why won't we repair the missing stair? My name is Reed Stevenson, and you are listening to the Pastor to High Priestess podcast. Friends, this is Reed, and I am here this week uh, with uh, my friend Ashley, uh, welcoming her to the Pastor to High Priestess podcast. Thanks for joining us. And so I'm going to get right into this, and I'm going to invite you, Ashley, to introduce yourself. Tell us, tell us about who you are. Hi, Reed, and everyone. I am Ashley, and I am. Happy to be here. This is kind of a, a new thing for me to talk about. And so I'm excited to, to be able to talk about it in a, in a bigger way. I've been talking about it with my uh, partner, my husband, Mark, for a long time. And so I'm, I'm glad to kind of open up and talk to other people about it. I am a, a former designer, interior designer. I am switching careers into herbalism. I've been studying that for about two and a half years. And so I am, I'm also an artist and I've just moved into a new studio and I just have lots of, I'm in a very in-between space. So that's kind of who I am right now. Hmm. Very good. And, and, and as people who are listening to this podcast know by now, and, and Ashley, you know, the conversations that I want to have here in this platform are with people who once upon a time identified as Christian, grew up in Christianity, and then at some point began deconstructing that belief system and have left, have have rejected, maybe that's a strong word, but like no longer identify as Christian, but in some way now identify as witchy or pagan, spiritual, but not religious. So, so where do you, where do you, where, what's your story with that? Ashley, if you want to start us off by saying, you know, here's where I started, here's kind of where I am. And, and then let's talk about. Sure. Yeah. I was one of those who was pretty much born into Christianity. I come from a very long line of people who were ministers and just worked in the church in some way. And, and it was Southern Baptist. I was born in Arkansas. 
kind of the middle of the Bible Belt. And I was actually born. So my my parents got pregnant with me before they were married, and that was kind of a big deal at the time. And in you know, in, in that setting and in that place, and that kind of has shaped and followed my whole path, like my, my path through Christianity to where I am today. It it's shaped it more than I understood or realized. And it's kind of like, I always felt like I had imposter syndrome in as a Christian, even though I believed in love and all the things that Jesus was about. And just, you know, I, I, I was all on board for that, but I always just felt like something wasn't quite right and that I was playing a role. And um, even the way that I became, you know, that I, that I came to be, you know, saved or, you know, and got baptized and everything was a little bit tricky. Um, I was at, at vacation Bible school and I was eight and it was one of those things where the the pastor said, bow your head and pray this prayer with me. And, you know, he just told that. So he he told all the kids to do that. So I did. He was like, if you pray the prayer with me, come over here. And it was kind of like, before I knew it, I was like being talked about, like, do you realize what this means? You're, you know, you're going to heaven. And, and I was just kind of like, what, what's, what's happening. And, and it was almost kind of like, oh, I didn't even realize that you had to do that. Like I thought I was already in, you know, I already thought, I thought I was, I was in the church. I was doing all the things I was, you know, being good and doing everything I was supposed to do. And so it kind of like, you know, that kind of, kind of turned into this thing. I got baptized and, you know, everyone praised me for it. And it was, you know, this amazing thing. And then from then on out, I was kind of like, oh, was that real? You know, is this real? What? And, you know, I did it wrong. And so it was just a lot of my whole Christian life was very much just kind of like, you know, was me questioning, there's a lot of like, is this real? Is it not real? You know, what if I'm, what if I'm actually bad? And, you know, all of this stuff. So fast forward, I, I went to college, didn't go to church for about 10 years. And once I got married, I had kids, I decided that I needed to go back and I had, you know, the guilt the whole time. And when I decided to go back, my my husband, who I actually met in in high school, he he's not a Christian. He was not a Christian at the time. And so I said, I'm going back and I'm taking the kids. And I said, you don't have to go. There's you know not, nothing you need to do, but but I'm going to go. And so I I found a church. I decided I needed to find a church that would make me accountable. You know that would that would that I would not, you know, I wouldn't have, wouldn't have an excuse to miss. So I in, ended up in a very high control kind of culty church and it was a Bible church and he actually joined me and fast forward through all of that. We were both members of the worship team. We, he was an elder. We went all the way, you know, like we were like, if we're doing this, we're going all the way. Both and the thing that kind of that, that we, that I kept bumping up against, which was something I kept bumping up against my whole life in Christianity was I, you know, the invisible wall, the invisible wall for women. Like you can't, there's, there's a, there's a wall you get to that you can't cross and you don't know it's there. So you bump into it. And so that bumping into that wall 
was kind of the thing that started the deconstruction and started the, the, you know, I say less of a deconstruction, but I kind of like went through it. It's like I bumped up against the wall and then I went through it. And on the other side, I was like, you know, okay, now, now what? And so it, it was about, you know, me overstepping my bounds as a woman. And it was very volatile and there was a lot of trauma with it. And that was about four years ago. And so everything since then has just been kind of like, just recovering from that. And, and then the realization when I got to the other side that, you know, what if I'm bad? And I was like, okay, what if I'm bad? You know, what is the worst? What is the worst thing that a woman could be in the church? And it was like a witch. And so it was more of this, like, what if, and, and kind of like living into that. And then I was like, oh, this is what I've been all along. And so it's more of like a, you know, a shedding, it was like shedding the Christian label, shedding all of that stuff and getting and calling myself a witch was like the truest thing that I could think of to call Mm. myself on the other side. And so that's where I am today. Wow. Wow. And I realized that took like three minutes, (laughs) but there that's years. I mean, that's, that's years. And that's one of the things that I find when I'm talking about my own deconstruction with people is there are big events. Like you mentioned this invisible wall that you hit and you said it was ugly and it was traumatic. You know, there are those big events, but looking back, you know, I find like there were little things that happened regularly because when you're deconstructing, when you're walking away from something that you have known your entire life, like that's, that is all consuming. It is, it is, it is all consuming. It's all, it's all encompassing. Um, so this invisible wall that that you that you mentioned, Ashley, can you can you say more about that? I mean, I so it sounds like you were in a non-denominational, which most of the time are either Baptist or Pentecostal and some sort. So very very more patriarchal, more culty. One of the more culty parts of the cult. And you said it had to do with women in ministry. Is there? Can you can you talk more about that? Sure. Yeah. So at this church, we were at this church for about 10 years and, you know, I I came in already, you know, having been in the church my whole life. And then I brought my husband in and he, you know, became a believer, whatever you want to say, uh, while we were at that church. And so it was sort of this big, like, whoa, you know, like he was sort of the poster child for this, you know, like, how it all, it's all successful and how it's supposed to work and all of this stuff. And so like together, I mean, I want to say, I, I don't know, we were, we were sort of looked at as this very, you know, I was very obedient and very driven and very, I mean, we, we both are very dynamic and it's kind of like, if we're going to do something, we're going to do it. You know, we're going to go hard. We're going to, we're going to do it. And so he, I don't, it was kind of like, because, because of him and because of that story, I kind of got elevated to this, like, I don't know, like, uh, it, I, like I was the first woman deacon ever at the church. Oh, wow. And I don't know, I still don't understand that. I still don't understand, you know, why, if you're going to be misogynistic, why do you, why do you start this whole, now we're going to have women deacons. 
Mm-hmm. And it was actually a big deal. People got mad about it. And it was, you know, that was, all I can say is I, I think it was like a chess move. I don't know. I feel like, I feel like the pastor was a narcissist and it was a chess move. And so anyway, I got in there, I got in the room, I was sitting in a room with all men and I was the only woman and, you know, talking about all of the things of the church and whatever. And I, I guess that growing up, it was sort of like this, like if I, if I could just get approval, like the approval of the men was the most important thing to me as you know, in, in patriarchy, it's like the way to be successful or to be, you know, I don't know. I think I wanted to be taken seriously. I think I wanted respect. And so it was like this, that I was the first woman deacon. Oh, I finally am getting the respect. You know, people are taking me seriously. I've always had like clear cognizance. I've always, always been very intuitive. And so I always thought that that was like a spiritual gift. And I was like, if I could just get validation that that's actually what it is and that I'm not a witch, you know, it was kind of like this, like weird, like, you know, I know things and I want validation that that's like from God and not from the devil. And, you know, so it all, it's all like, you know, intermingled into this, like wanting approval. And so feeling like I got it feeling like, okay, the men are taking me seriously. I definitely pushed into that. And I started, you know, doing things like I would like to get all of the elders wives together for a meeting and to just like, to get to know each other. And cause it was one of those things where the elders wives were kept very separate and they didn't, they didn't want them to get together. And so I suggested that maybe we should get together and, you know, do things like pray and do things like, you know, care for the women of the church. And, and so I just kind of started, you know, wriggling my way into this, you know, feminine side of the church that was that, that the men did not want another female to control. And so they ended up letting us meet, letting the women meet, but they gave us an agenda and we had to stick to their agenda that they gave us. And so there was that, there was like some, this workbook they wanted to take us all through. And I, I said it was terrible. And, uh, it was kind of like this, I was calling attention to things that they didn't want called attention to. And I was doing it from a place of, I've been a woman deacon. I am the wife of an elder. And so it was like, it was like too close, too close for comfort. And it, it made them nervous and they pushed, pushed back. So I don't know if that answers your question. No, no, that efficiently. (laughs) It answers my question. And, and I have like 10 more questions. Wow. I'm I'm still stuck on the agenda. I'm yeah. I'm still stuck on the agenda. So so I guess a, a simple question is was there no women's ministry in this church? Like there were no like ladies retreats, ladies groups. So there were there were there was a once every other year women's retreat. But other than that, the women were very it was that that typical like female like the women were kept kind of separate and busy with the children and busy with the, 
the Sunday school classes and busy with things. And I always felt like we were not, we didn't have opportunities to really like get, get to know each other really well and get like, get on the same page. It always, it felt like competition. It felt like there was just always this, like, you know, you, you couldn't, there wasn't like a camaraderie. There wasn't like the same thing that the men had and they had, you know, their meetings, the elders met once a week and they were just very, they, they poured into the men. And so it had been discussed actually that, that we needed something for the women. And I didn't even know that this had been discussed, but it had been discussed, you know, it it had been being discussed for a long time. And the pastor was like, no, I've got, I've already got that. I've already, I'm, I'm writing a curriculum. I'm writing, you know, he was kind of like, no, I've already got that. And this book, this workbook thing was part of, part of that. And it was being tested on like on test groups of women to go through. And somehow I was in a group with two other elders, a pastor's wife and an, and another elder's wife. And they suggested that we should do this workbook. And it was like, it was the most heinous thing I've <laughs> ever seen. I've, I mean, it was just, it was gross. What, and, can, you, can you give an example? Like, well, okay. So first I have a question. So this thing that was being tested, was it just being tested in your church or was it being tested like more widespread? Yes, it was just in our church and, and our church was very, it was part of an association, but the pastor made sure that we weren't really part of the association. You what know, was, was the, of, what was the association? Well, if I say the name, then okay. I'll have to play the name. Oh. It was, it was an association that's just Austin specific. Okay. Um, and we'll and, leave it at that. Yeah. We'll leave it at that. And yeah, it was very our, our association with that was very controlled, but in general, the whole association was very, very much the same way. So very mm-hmm. agenda, although they would never use that term. Um, and that, that was actually a point of, you know, when, when all this stuff started happening, when all the shit hit the fan, basically my husband and I started researching, like, what is this? What, what are we, what is this wall that we've run into? And what is this called? And, you know, we found the terms complementarianism and, you know, we found all of these things and we would bring them up and they would be like, well, yeah, but we don't really use that word because it's very, you know, loaded. And so it's very true. It's very true. Yeah. And so, and we were just kind of like, well, if this is what you are, then own it. Like if this is how this is, own it and and just say that this that you're misogynistic and this is how you're going to run things and it would be very you know clarity would be nice for for all of those women in the church you feel like you know hey I could I could be useful here and you know keep finding out that you're not that you keep getting pushed back and so yeah it yeah. Well, yeah. I, so the way, the way that you just described it, you know, as the, like, tell the truth, be clear, like that mm-hmm. bait switch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you said you grew up your whole life in church. I, 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 you know, I invite you to share something like, you know, to, I don't want to assume this is true for you just because it was true for me, but like, that was always, it was, yes. it, it's like, 
you would hear, okay, well, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the greatest story ever told. Okay, that's great. But then there were all of these other off stories, mm-hmm. all of these things that kind of like the the proverbial, I won't, well, the the the, the outpouring, the outflowing from, from the, those stories. And I always felt like there was such a bait and switch. And so for me, if I heard something that it was like, like I resonate very much with what you said about if this is the way it is, just say, this is the way it is. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. almost like they know something's wrong with what they're doing. Exactly. And that, yeah, that was, that was when my husband would go and, and talk about it. I mean, there were just, there were many, many meetings about this and, you know, it was kind of like, we were just discovering it and, but they were like, but yeah, 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 that's, that's how it is. And we were like, but wait, what? And so, yeah, there was, there were lots of discussions about it and, and that's what he was, he was just pushing for. Like, can we just be honest? Can we just be clear about everything. And, and I mean, one of the things too, that made me see was we actually went to, went on a mission trip to Turkey. And before I went, it was one of those things where I was just like, I'm going to go, I'm going to see, I was very uncomfortable with the idea of, of, you know, evangelism. Mm -hmm. And, but, but it was one of the big things that made me start thinking. I was like, you know, they would talk about how Islam is very patriarchal and it's very, you know, blah, 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 all of these things. And I was like, but it's the same. And, and so I would, I was like, how do I go to another country and, and say, Hey, how about you trade your patriarchal religion for my patriarchal religion? You know, it was, it was very eye-opening just to learn about Islam and then to then, you know, relate it to what, what my religion was. And, and, you know, when I would make those correlations, they would be like, Oh no, 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 it's, it's very different. And I was like, how? So I am thankful to have gotten to learn about Islam and to get to know people who grew up in that. And they taught me and they helped me, you know, see, see things that were right in front of me that, yeah, it was like, it has been like this all along, but I just couldn't see it. I, I was, you know, indoctrinated. I was, if I was blind to ever it. known if it is all you have ever known. Yes. Then you don't know that it is right, wrong, crazy, ugly, or even violent, you know, exactly. until you've walked away and you realize you meet other people who, who look at you and go, you did what now? You yeah. know, I've been yeah. watching all of the, the documentaries that have come out, you know, this summer about Hillsong and about the IBLP and yes. You know, I, I didn't go to, I wasn't involved in either one of those, but I know the IBLP stuff, that was stuff that was, you know, that cycled through churches that I grew up in. And it's like, you know, I joked for a long time saying, oh, it was a cult, but now I'm like, holy shit, it was a cult. I grew up in a cult and it very much sounds like this, this, this church that you were part of is a cult. Yes. And it's been hard to come to grips with that. And, and it's really funny because my, so several people we knew before we even went to this church would say like, there was, there was a, a division of it kind of near where we lived and people would be like, oh, that's a cult. 
and we would be like, oh, you know, whatever. It was that was when we didn't go to church. And then we ended up going to this this branch of it. And we were like, oh, it's not a cult. It's, you know, everyone's nice. And, you know, everyone's everyone takes Christianity seriously here. You know, it was kind of that whole like, take it seriously. And and that's kind of like the pendulum swing too, is like where, you know, the way I grew up was very, you know, Christianity was part of it was social. Like it was, mm-hmm. it was a social part of the the town I lived in and I you know I lived in East Texas at the time and it was just very social and I was always like but if this is real then why are we you know just like having potlucks and going to you know going to church camp in Florida you know going to the beach and like if this is real we should take it seriously and so I did the pendulum swing to the like no I have to go to a church that's taking this seriously and ended up, you know, it was kind of the same. I was like, this isn't better either. This isn't it either. And so, you know, I even had a time where I, I researched other religions and, you know, before I started going back to church and I was just like, but this one has Jesus. And this is what I know Yeah, is like, this is the only thing that feels real and true. And so I'm just going to stick with the one that has Jesus because I, I feel in my soul that's right. And and what I've realized, I think on the other side is that Jesus was a witch and that, <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. the only explanation and you go back and you, you know, the things you have talked about and the things that he did. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Jesus was a witch. And that's, you know, that's why, that's why that part felt true. And mm-hmm. yeah. And, and it's, it, uh, it's also funny to me that you have to have mystical, magical thinking to believe in a virgin birth and, you know, a guy coming back from the dead and a half man, half God, you know, like all of the things that it takes that it requires to believe and buy into Christianity. But yet, if you talk about anything, any of that stuff in any other context, yeah, it's, it's, you you know, you're what, what are you doing? That's woo woo. You're a witch, you know, whatever. It's new age. It's yeah. That's of the devil. Well, and I'm, I'm sure I don't have to tell you this, but like at a certain point, I know I realized, oh, this is because you're not in charge of it. Yes. It's about control. Yeah, it is. It is about control. And, you know, as, as, as problematic as like JK Rowling is, I'm still going to use this Harry Potter example because of what you were just saying. It was like, so these things that you have to believe in these, these, you know, the logic that you kind of have to leave. And, you know, even in, in, even the apostle Paul talks about how to believe what, you know, to believe in Christ is to believe in foolishness. I'm botching that that scripture but basically to believe this is ridiculous like who Mm -hmm. believes that someone came back from the dead who Mm -hmm. believes that you know someone was 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 born of a virgin but and and in the years that church attendance has declined like I've started looking at church decline in the aughts and I always found it's not that people were turned off by mystery because think about all of the woo-woo mystical just even just entertainment. So like books and movies and TV that have like a magical bend, people are into that. Yeah. So it's, so whenever I first started deconstructing, I would look and I, you know, I, I would hear people say in church, well, it's just because people don't want to believe they don't want to believe people want to believe something. I think 
people, yeah. like you said, it's like, well, if this is what this is, then we should take it seriously. If this is mm-hmm. real and we're going to believe it, let's take it seriously. So I found that people just, if you weren't believing in Jesus, that any other belief was just discounted as foolish, as Mm -hmm. evil, as ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Um, But I love that you said that I, I love that you said that Jesus was a witch. So did you have just like a moment where you're like, oh my God, I think Jesus is a witch. Oh my God. I might be a witch too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was when I, when I left and I started, you know, it was the feminine was, was really the reason I left. It was sort of like in defense of my femininity and, you know, that my divine feminine and just, and even just the concept of that was like, I have to just dig into the divine feminine and the more I dug into that and the more I, you know, I listened to podcasts and I, you know, read books and I, it was just this, like, is it, it, could it be? And, and then the more I dug, the more I was like, well, this is like, this is Jesus, but this is also what a witch is. And I, you know, I believe to me, I believe that is, it's like the witch is sort of the, the divine feminine. It's the, it's the thing that has been pushed out. And, you know, Jesus was so feminine and so like he had both, he was the divine, you know, he was divine masculine, divine feminine, all rolled up into one package. And it's like the church wanted to deny the feminine part of him and, you know, and raise up the, you know, the badass, you know, whatever part of him. And, and so, yeah, it was just sort of like, I kept, I kept trying to, trying to kind of avoid, avoid the word, witch, and because I was like, oh, it's such a strong word, Yeah. but it was the only word that felt true. And it was, it was the only word that felt true about me. And it was the only word that felt true about Jesus. And so, yeah, it was just one of those, like, it's just truth. And I can't, I can't get away from it. And I don't know if there was, there wasn't like a specific point where it just like clicked, but it was just like, you know, all the things put together. And it was like, if I'm this, then Jesus is this and, and vice versa. So, yeah. Especially if you're just trying to follow Jesus. Yeah. Uh, And when, whenever you were talking about, you know, Jesus was a witch, I was thinking like, I immediately got this image in my head of the story where Jesus picks up some dirt and spits into it and makes a little paste and he puts it on someone's eyes and Mm -hmm. that, you know, Hey, you know, now, and then of course, you know, my favorite, the turning water, water into wine, yeah, water into (laughs) wine. Yeah. I was always really pissed that we didn't learn that in seminary. I thought for sure we would, we would learn that trick and yeah, yeah, we wouldn't. So I have another question about the, about your experience with, with the, with the church that you were associated with what were the responses of the women, Ashley? Like, were there women thinking, why do we have to, why do we have to get permission to meet together? You know, were the women in on all of this? Were there some women who were some women who weren't, were there those church ladies that were like hateful to anyone who wants to change? (laughs) So all of this happened very kind of privately, like the only people that knew about all this stuff going on were the people behind the curtain. And it was, you know, all of the elders and their wives. And 
it was, there were definitely, there were, there were probably two people who were sort of on, you know, not on my side, but like, I see your point, you know, I see, you know, but still very cautious, very afraid to speak up on my behalf. Um, that was probably the biggest thing. The hardest thing is that people who said that they were my friends refused to actually speak up on my behalf. There was a lot of protection of the institution, protection of the pastor. So yeah, it was very, it was just met with a lot of like, wait a second, you're, you're, no, like we're not opening that can of worms. We did have, you know, the meeting, we had like one or two meetings with the wives before I, we finally left, but it was very much, you know, we're going on the agenda. And I, I just went off on, it was kind of like, we could each talk about a, a, a topic, you know, we could each put in a prayer request was kind of, you know, it was like, that was the only way that I could even speak about what I wanted to speak about was through my prayer request. Wow. So I, I talked about, you know, that this is just like, this is, I talked about love and I talked about how there was a lack of it in, in the church. And afterward, the pastor's wife came up to me and she was like, do you not feel loved? And I was just like, I just looked at her and I was like, you do you don't have a clue. Like, this is not, this isn't about me feeling loved. This is about like love, like the whole thing that this whole church says it's about, and it's not here. Mm. And it was, so it was just, it was a lot of stuff like that. There was just a lot of things I would say, and I would get the crickets, you know, I would get this, the look. I don't know if you, there's that little meme with that little girl. And I can't, I can't remember she has a name, but it's like this little meme where she's like, has this, this look like what, you know, and my husband and I used to trade that all the time because it would be like, we would speak and people would give us that look. And so mm-hmm. we would just like, that was like, we traded it back and forth through, through this whole thing because people just weren't, it's, they, they, it was like they, they were in denial. They just didn't want to go there. And so, so yeah, it was very like, I, I, one of my really good friends, I, I looked her in the face. We had a a meeting to say, we're leaving the church and, you know, with them. And, and I just said, we don't, we don't trust the pastor. We don't trust, you know, we think the institution is out of control. It's now, you know, self-preserving and it's, and, and she just like, looked at me and and started crying and she it was kind of like you fix this this is your problem this is not the problem of the church this is not a problem mm-hmm. pastor you know this is for you to fix and I don't want anything to do with this um, so yeah it was hard it was the the women were not not with me at all any more than the men were wow so and that's so hard because and I hear this in your story and I've heard it in other people's stories and in my own stories, you have these people who you feel like, and there is, there is a bond with people in church that I have found now outside, but like, there's something about going to the same church and there's, there's psychology behind it. There's sociology behind it, you know, where people are part of this group and they're doing good and they're, you know, Mm -hmm. connecting to the divine And when someone wants to eat, like it can get as screwed up as, as possible, but people are so afraid of losing that. Yeah. 
and they know it, you know, the institution knows it. I mean, the, the ones at the top know that that is the one thing they have going for them. That's the one thing that keeps people there. And, you know, it's the community and, and it's true. Like it is a community and it's, it's not a, it's not fake. I mean, you know, as far as, you know, there's realness to the community, you have a group of people around you and you're, you know, you're having fun with them and you're laughing and you're eating with them and you're doing all the things that look like community. But then when, when one person, like I, it, it felt like, you know, it was like a family. And then one person in the family is like, well, so, you know, dad's abusing me. And they're like, what? No, that's not true. You know, you, you need to fix this. And so it's kind of what it felt like. And, and so it, yeah, it's, it's very, cause it, it means that their whole world has to be turned upside down too. And so you don't, you know, once we've, we've gotten out of it and gotten past hurt of these people who said they were my friends said they were my family, you know, have completely turned their back on me. You just, you're like, but how, why would I think otherwise, you know, like how would I expect that them to give that up? You know, yeah. like it's, it's, it's a big deal. And so it, for, for me, it was more like, I, I think I asked myself the question because I thought about that. I thought about the community that I would lose. And, and I was like, but is this community helping me be the person who mm-hmm. I want to be? And it's not, it's not supporting me. Like it doesn't make me into the a good version of myself. It makes me into a worse version of myself. And so it was that. And then the part about being complicit with yeah the system, if I stay, then it means in some, at some level it's okay. And so I had to remove myself, but our, our kids actually kept going. And that was one of the things too, that was really weird. It was really uncomfortable for the people there, which was awesome because (laughs) like they had that like reminder that like, Hey, remember this, remember but we gave that, they were, you know, teenagers and it was their community too. It was their social group. And we said, we don't, we don't want to take that away from you. You can, you know, you make the decision and you can keep going if you want. And they, they did for a while. And, but they eventually saw it too. And, you know, to a point where like our youngest, like went to a sermon, you know, went to church one morning and he came back and he was like, I can't, I can't listen to that man talk anymore. He was like, it's just, you know, I know he's like, I know the stuff that happened behind the scenes and the stuff that comes out of his mouth. I can't, yeah, I can't do it. So, wow. That Ashley, that is, that is such a brave thing to do. I honestly, I, whenever you said you let your kids keep going, I I don't know that I could have let my teenagers keep going, but mm-hmm. you were like, you were so certain they would see it. Yeah. Yeah, we, we had to trust that for sure. And we knew we were very honest with them through the whole process. We did not hold anything back. We told them everything that was happening, every, you know, they, they knew it all. And, you know, that's not to say that like, they still loved those people there. They still, they had, they had adults there that we knew still had their best interests at heart. So we trusted that. And, but it was, it was total trust. Like we had to just be like, okay, we're going to, you know, we're not going to be there to hear the things that are being said to them. We're going to have to just trust that they can decipher things and, you know, have discernment on their own. And they did. So. Wow. 
Wow. Wow. And so you said, you said you kid, your kids eventually stopped going. Yes. So now everyone's out of the cult. Everyone's out. <laughs> um, where are you now? Like, what is lighting you up? Is there, I mean, I know we've talked already about how you identify as witch. And, you know, I know some people are like, if especially people who've been in Christianity. And so for me, I know in my journey out of the church, my first Oracle deck, that's, I started with an Oracle deck. I was like, I used it and I was like, okay, I, no one's like, nothing bad has happened yet. So it's like, okay, this is a little okay. And, you know, moving that, moving in a certain direction and doing things that would be considered witchy. And Lord, if you grew up Southern Baptist, I grew up Pentecostal. How many times did you hear thou shalt not suffer a witch to live? Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> you know, there's, there's that trauma as well, yep. you know, and the sin of the sin of the sin of rebellion is witchcraft. That was the other one I heard over and over and over again. And so embracing that, the embracing the witch, embracing the divine feminine. And I love Ashley, what you said about how the witch which is the divine feminine. And, you know, and then you tied Jesus and I, I want to talk more about this and I want to do some more research. That's, that's got my synapses firing in an exciting way. I love what you shared about that. So if you don't mind, do you mind, will you talk about like what you're doing now, how you're living into your witchiness, how you're living into your connection to the divine feminine? Yeah. So the first thing I did was get like a proper altar. Like a, it, I had this, it just kind of, it came to me. I was, my neighbors were selling this old piece of furniture, this old dresser. And I, I saw it outside and I was like, that's my altar. Mm. And I got it. And, and I was like, this is something that I've been doing my whole life too. Like I've always like every vacation, I'm, I'm like the kid that buys the crystals, you know, on every vacation or, you know, picks up rocks and feathers. And, you know, so I've, I had these things and I would display them, you know, in different places, but I was like that, you know, it's, it, that's an altar. Like I, that's my altar space. And I, when I would do art, you know, I would have stuff out and whatever. So it's like, I need like a legit, like a proper, like a space that is like an altar. So that was my first thing I did. And then I was kind of like, what, how do I, what do I do? Like, what do I do with an altar? And so the only thing I could think of was like, I just, I need to like put things on it and I need to burn a candle next to the things. And so that was kind of my, yeah, I, I was very afraid of like, you know, Googling, like how to, do a spell. You know, like I was like, I just was like, I don't, I don't, I'm not interested in having someone direct me and tell me how to do it because that's what I've been doing my whole life. And it led me wrong. Yeah. So I was like intuition. I need to like, what intuitively, if I am a witch and I'm saying I am, then I know what to do. And so I'm just going to do what I know to do. And so it kind of progressed from there. And I just, you know, I have, I have my altar. I do, I do kind of like I combine art and my altar. Like right now I'm doing this thing where I do every month I put a color on the altar and I cut you know, all the things I can find of that color. And, and then I reflect on that for the month. And then I do a playlist based on what came to me about the energy of that color. And, wow. and it's kind of like a healing thing. And it's like, it's combining, you know, art and, and, 
you know, design a little bit. It's kind of combining all of the things I love into one little practice. And then the other thing is, of course, there's herbalism, which I have, that's my new career path, if you want to call it that. It's my, it's my new, I'm, you know, I've put aside my, my career that I did for 20 plus years and I'm pursuing this. And I, I think in some way I might integrate everything eventually, but I'm trying to figure that out. So I've been going, I've been, you know, growing plants, making uh, medicine with plants. And um, my first art Oracle deck is it's called dirt gems and it's uh, plants. And so it's plants and it's color. And it's like, it's again, it's like, I'm, I'm really into like combining. I'm, I like doing collages and, you know, so combining things that seemingly don't go together, but then putting them all together to create magic. Oh, that is amazing. So this deck, this is a deck you're creating? No, it's a deck that I got. It's it's a okay. deck that I bought. Yeah. But it's something that has inspired you to kind of put all of, of this together and move toward the like in, in the art that you're that you're creating. Yes. Yes. Oh. I yeah, collaging. And that's actually something that I did. So the the year that we left the church was the year of COVID. And it, I didn't know this, but like I, I had created this color wheel that it had the fruits of the spirit. This was while I was still in the church. It was the color wheel. And then I matched each color with the fruit of the spirit. And then I did art. I did a piece of art every month that like tied into that color and that word. And what I did not know is that, that was going to save my life, like get me through mm. that horrible year and stuff came out in that that I was like where did that come from and just the imagery like using imagery that already exists and then taking it and putting it together with these images that are you know unrelated but then it all like compiles and it's like it just it brought out stuff in me that I didn't know was in there and so I mean that is definitely it was a healing practice for me it was a way to mine what was inside of me and it was it was magic I mean it was very it was it was crazy yeah and what I hear through that and and I heard you say you're talking about your intuition and and you know not wanting to be led by an institution or a person in an institution who's main purpose even though you know supposedly we believe like pastors or ministers clergy enter to like you know connect people to Jesus and to save the world or you know through Jesus but like you are so cut off from your own intuition yes you are from intuition in your body you know it's all it's all belief so it's all in your head it's all in your head Exactly. That's, that is something that I am finding whenever I talk to people, you know, who have left the church, specifically women, like that relearning to, to be in our bodies and not even a relearning, maybe even just a learning or a learning to trust our bodies and our intuition, because, you know, you constantly grow up hearing, well, that's the devil. God has a plan for your life. God has this plan for your life. And, you know, you can be out of God's will and you can, you know, do all of these things unless you have counsel with someone in the church. And so, right. I just, 
it sounds like I love how you said that that saved your life, that integration of those practices and, and right at COVID, you know, so that other yeah. construction of the world. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that it happened at the same time. And I know that that's like, that happened to so many people. I've just heard so many stories about how, you know, their personal deconstruction of some kind happened, coincided with yeah. that time. And I don't think it's an accident, you know, I think it's just, it's how it, you know, those of us who could feel things happening and things shifting, like it's, yeah, it's energy and it's all, it all happened together as it, as it needed to, I guess. And do you like, I like, I just, I know we're, we're, we're running long here, but just you use the, you talked about how people can feel it. Like people can feel it. Mm-hmm. Can you say more about that? Because I am, it, I'm so excited to hear someone else say that because I feel it. I feel the shifts. I felt the shifts. Can you, can you say any more about that? Yeah. I mean, that would be something that if, you know, the question, what's lighting me up, that that's mm-hmm. the thing is that I, it's like little glimpses and little sparks of something new. And I think it took the world shutting down Mm. for those of us to, who are sensitive to that kind of energy to have a minute to feel it and to be like, wait, what is this? And like, notice it. And like, there's so many people who, like my herbalism class, which was 2021, was the biggest class that, that my school has had Oh wow! so far. And it was like, everybody came, it was like, well, you know, COVID, like we gotta, I gotta learn how to like heal myself. And, you know, it's just this, like the, I don't know, it's this collective shift back toward the feminine, back toward the earth, back toward knowing things and tapping into wisdom that we've had that's been suppressed that we didn't have time to get to. And, you know, yes, it it was, a, it took a tragedy, you know, it took a world pandemic and, and a lot of tragic things to happen for us to pay attention. But like, I'm just so grateful for, I mean, I, I just remember the, the day that, everything shut down me as an introvert. It was like, Oh, thank God. You know, I was just like, Oh, like I get to clear my schedule, you know, like it, it was a relief to me. Mm. And the more I got into it, I realized why, you know, and, and it, it, then it, you know, it's mixed with grief and it's mixed with all of these things, but it was like, we didn't, it was almost like the pandemic gave us a chance to feel grief and like, give us a reason, a reason to feel it. Not that we needed one, but it was like, it's okay. Like, this is bad, feel grief. And then the grief led to grief, like opens things up and it, and it makes things clearer. And so, I don't know. I just feel like that we've, we've been in this collective grief and my, you know, it, it coincided with my personal grief and and I see glimpses in myself and I see glimpses in the world of like people getting things, getting unstuck and yeah. then we're, we're moving forward to something better. 
and it's still, you know, going to take a little while to get there, but I just, I see it. I, I, I believe it. I, I hope, like, I hope that is, that is where I'm at right now. You know, when, like you were, you, I think you nailed it. Like talking about that collective grief and people taking the time, like so much happened even before leading up to the pandemic and now mm-hmm. even post pandemic, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, every, like people, people grieving, people kind of taking a minute to look around and go, this is not normal. Like this mm-hmm. is not normal. And, and just, figuring a new way, figuring, like thinking things that we didn't know we needed to think. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I'm going to ask you one more question and I don't want to put you on the spot, but like, if someone's listening to your story, I know I have resonated so much with your story. If someone is listening to your story and they're, and they're like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can deconstruct. It's going to cost me so much to walk away from my community. What would you, what would you say to them? Or, or if you could go back to Ashley before all this happened, like, what would you say? What would you say to Ashley in that, in that place, in that time? I would say if truth is important to you, and I mean, this is one of the things that going back to Jesus as the witch, he, there was a point, the point where he said, I've, I've come to show the truth. Mm-hmm. I kept thinking about that. And I kept thinking about like, that is, that's the whole point. And so there was a book that I got in the midst of this and it was called free range Christianity. It's like, it's a really thick book and it's just like a bunch of stuff. It's like this collection of stuff, but the beginning of it says, if you, it like, don't, don't be afraid. Like the truth will prove itself and the truth. If you're interested in the truth, then like, you won't go wrong. There's no way to do it wrong. Like the truth will basically lead you. And so it was kind of this like permission of like, let it all break open and see what's true because what's really true will is what will stay. And if it's not true, then it doesn't belong anyway. So if that, it was kind of like, if that leads, if that leads me out of Christianity, if it leads me back to Christianity, if it like, it doesn't matter, I'm interested in the truth because that's, so I would say, you know, just don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of truth because truth stands on its own and it will always like, it will never lead you wrong. It might lead you to places you didn't want to go and like (laughs) scary places and, you know, and, and break your whole world apart, but it's so much better being truer on the other end of it. So I, and I, this, the other thing that's kind of led me through this is I found a picture of myself as a child, like in kind of a state, I was making mud pies and it was like this, like at my grandma's house. And it was like this version of me. And I was like, I have to go find her again. And so that was like my, she was my little guide to get me, to get me back. So. That is, that is beautiful. That is so beautiful. Ashley, thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing your stories and for being vulnerable about your journey and your process and everything that you went through. I am truly, truly grateful for, for your time. So thank you.
Thank you for listening to the Pastor to High Priestess podcast. If what we're doing here resonates with you, please rate the show and leave a review. Our theme song, Glass House, is by Sandra Porter. You can find more of Sandra's music on Spotify or Apple Music. Thank you again for listening. Take good care of yourselves.